were as whales and we were here as, you know, galactics. And so um, they say, you know, even though it sounds horrific to have come to Earth a thousand times, you've done it in different forms. So I'm like, okay, I guess that's okay then. But I've also had quite a few lives in ancient Egypt. So I also get that the Syrians were the Egyptian gods who came to Earth and eventually... You got to accentuate the positive. Wow! I feel good. A little bit of feel good goes a long way. You're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just bad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. As always, a blessing to be with you all. And please remember, if you're liking the shows, to share them with your friends and subscribe and like or send me an email. And you can join us in a conversation if you're listening to this on audio on Facebook, if you're on Facebook at the Awakened Empowerment Network group. So today I have another fascinating woman to introduce you to. Her name is Lisa Barnett. Welcome to the show, Lisa. Oh, thank you, Karen. It's lovely to be here with you. And we're going to have some fun talking about consciousness today. So let me tell you a little bit about Lisa for people who might not have heard of Lisa. Lisa Barnett is an internationally known author, teacher and healer with more than 20 years of experience in the Spiritual Healing Forum. She is an authority connecting people to the ancient wisdom of the Akashic Records, founder of the Akashic Knowing School of Wisdom, where students from around the world learn to access their own soul's intelligence to live more fulfilled lives. Lisa has devoted her life to as a divine channel to help people connect to their divinity and receive the soul guidance to heal and transform their lives. She spent 10 years as a religious science certificate practitioner where she offered healing prayer treatment to a congregation and served on as a vice president on the board of directors. So how long ago was that, Lisa? Oh my, that must have been a whole nother lifetime, I'm going to say, uh, almost 20 years ago. That sounds right, and that's uh, has to do with my second book that I wrote. So, <laughs> right. Well, Lisa's book. She's the author of "The Infinite Wisdom of the Akashic Records" and "From Questioning to Knowing: Seventy Three Prayers to Transform Your Life." So that obviously was in the 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 you were doing prayers for this congregation. So it was a more structured spiritual organization, was it? Well, kind of the funny thing was that it was probably a good, let's see, that book came out. um, It was probably 10 or 15 years after I was a a prayer practitioner, because I did that when my children were very little. And then as they got older, I kind of gave up all of that time with the, you know, church, it was a new thought um, church. And so it was not kind of uh, particularly uh, dogmatic or religious in a sense. But one day the record keeper said to me after I'd written the first uh, Infinite Wisdom of the Akashic Records, they said, it's time to write another book. And I said, okay, so what should we write about? And they said, we're going to make a, do a prayer book. And I was like, what? <laughs> and they said, did you forget that you were a prayer practitioner for 10 years? And I was like, 
yeah, I actually did forget, you know, we do so many things. I was like, oh, that was like a whole nother life when my children were tiny and, and now they're teenagers and I can't remember that far back, but I downloaded, I channeled 73 healing prayers uh, from the Akashic Record Keepers. And, um, and that is, you know, from questioning to knowing. So a little bit more of a bigger view, information from the Akashic field, as well as, you know, just starting to work our way through clearing some of our, our old emotions and low vibrational energies and, you know, traumas and vows and different contracts and understanding our, our lives in a bigger way. Perfect. So you've got a new book coming out, the third book, Your Soul Has a Plan, Awaken to Your Life's Purpose. It'll be available towards the end of this year, towards the end of 2020 run. What's that? What's inside that book? Well, you know, I kind of say, I think I've written the books backwards. So <laughs> it's, it's a perfect book to help people understand what we plan when we come to earth. So it's very much about writing your soul's plan, about the soul contracts you have written with various people in your life. It's about um, some of the soul contracts that I say have karma attached, which is, are those relationships that maybe are challenging where there's some growth involved? Mm -hmm. And so um, it really is kind of more about the basics of of seeing ourselves as an infinite soul, having hundreds and thousands of lifetimes in all realms. And um, because I know so many people are just starting to wake up. And so the record keeper said, let's help the people who are kind of new to the Akashic records, new to consciousness, new to, you know, some of these different spiritual ideas. Let's write a book about that. Perfect. And um, you can find more about Lisa at akashicknowing.com. Okay, let's let's listen to a little bit of your journey. I don't know much about your journey at all. When did you start to awaken to your knowing or did you always know as a child? My memory is three years old. So I had a bit of a kind of epiphany where I remember trying to explain to my mother probably that I didn't like whatever it was she was cooking because I was not the biggest fan of food in general. And so, um, you know, there I was kind of babbling away and she's looking kind of confused at me. And I remember really literally looking at my hands and thinking like, oh, I'm trapped. Like I am trapped in a body again. And I said to her, I want to go back. Right. Of course, she thought I was nuts. Back where, honey? You know, kind of thing. But um, that really began my conscious awareness that I was more than the person in the body, that there was so much more. Um, and I could remember communicating with other etheric souls without having to use all these words, right? telepathically, clairvoyantly, sending images, um, energy, vibration, emotions, clairsentiently, really just sharing the claircognizance of our knowingness with other souls. And it was much easier. They just got it, right? So um, I started to study when I was about 13, 14 years old, when I was, um, we moved to California and I was going into high school. 
And I had kind of a, a second awakening, which was, you know, again, the, hey, you know this stuff, do something about it. <laughs> and so um, I did start to study. I started to read. And um, the, this was back in the late, um, late 60s, early 70s. So the Maharishi was just coming to the United States with Transcendental Meditation. And there was fascinating books like Journeys Out of the Body and Baba Ram Das's Be Here Now. So I really just spent the next 10 years reading, studying, minoring in philosophy at university, taking philosophy classes, studying, you know, Eastern religions and, and uh, energy, energy healing. So when did you meet the record keepers, the keepers of the Akashic Records? How old were you when they introduced themselves to you? You know, I was about... 30, I had um, had a whole career in um, advertising. So really, after I graduated from college, uh, I went on and I decided, well, I don't, you know, I mean, I don't know how to go out and be a healer. So I can, I just want a job and, you know, make some money. And so I did that um, for in the end, almost 15 years. But um, I started uh, eventually, I started to really to study energy healing. And like you were talking a little bit about, you know, being a medical intuitive and, and, um, and then every once in a while, I get this big booming voice when I'd be working on a client. And it went on literally for almost five years before I actually said, who are you? <laughs> you know, <laughs> Young and dumb, what can I say? You know, it's just kind of like, Wow, that's so much information. That is very cool. I just kind of get these big downloads and think, wow. And I never thought like, well, why don't you say, who is this? Who am I talking to? You know, I seriously didn't dawn on me five years later. They told me. And kind of the interesting thing was my original um, energy healer teacher had taught us to go to the gates of the Akashic Record. She said, after you do a healing, after you've created all this space, you want to fill the person up, your client up with their highest Akashic information and energy they can now hold. So you go up to the gates of the Akashic record. It looks kind of like a library with a big wrought iron gate in front of it and ask their record keepers to give them some energy. I'd say, okay, you know, again, I was a student. I didn't know any better. She said, you're not allowed to go into the Akashic Records. So again, you know, this is like, you know, back in the late 80s and, and, um, and that was still almost true. So when these beings started to talk to me, I didn't have any idea that it would be the Akashic Record Keepers because as far as I knew, you didn't get to go into the records. So um, that was a big shock to me <laughs> when they said, you know, we're the, we're the Akashic Record Keepers. And so I said to them, like, like kind of what the heck? I, I thought we weren't allowed in. And they said that was true for 1,000 years. They explained that they had pulled the vibration of the Akashic Records away from the planet back during the Dark Ages, which was about, what, 1000 AD. And because people were misusing the information that they could get in there for their own gain, 
So they were like, okay, you humans, you know, are out of integrity. We can't trust you with this information. So we'll just pull the whole energy field away. And so it really started to come back again with the, this new galactic alignment back in, you know, probably the 60s. Started in the 60s, you know, we have Edgar Casey back in the 20s, 30s, and 40s, who through a hypnotic trance could access the, the information. But really, they say that it was really the dawning of the age of Aquarius in, right. in 1960 when we were actually invited back in. Yeah, that's so interesting. That's so interesting. I've never heard anyone else say that because I asked my guides about that too. And that's exactly what they told me because uh, I, like you, was told that it's, you know, you can't access them or you're not supposed to access them. And I've had different guests on the show that have in their astral form, they've been taken up to the Akashic records, but they're not actually allowed to access much of it they just said oh we'll just show you one or two past lives we you can't see there's been all this shrouded sort of mystery around accessing them you're not allowed to see you're not allowed to see and I've had so many people on the show that are reading them I had someone on the show that does your galactic lives only your galactic akashic you know accessing the akashic records for galactic lives for people who want to know who they are in other worlds and there seems to be an amazing amount of access so I said to my guides you know, what's the story here with the two different, you know, ideas? And they said exactly that. They said in the past, you weren't allowed to access them, but because of the shift in consciousness, the information's become available. Yeah. Right. Right. And, and this is probably one of the biggest challenges about um, following too closely kind of really old traditions, right? Because they change. And if we don't keep updating ourselves, our energy field, you know, then, um, then we get kind of lost in the past. And so that right. was really what the record keepers had said is, you know, it's accessible now, but unless you ask again, or, you know, <laughs> yeah, keep asking, you going to know that. Yeah. So what, what is, what you're locked out of one day might be available to you another because you've, you're in a different place in your life. You've, you, so I feel that, you know, some of the information isn't available because we have to, you know, go through the lessons, the learning, the karma, so to speak, before we have more access to the knowing why we're going through stuff. Um, you know, when we're going through our dramas, we're like, why? <laughs> <laughs> Who was I in a past life that I've created this? Right. <laughs> and oh, it's true. I have clients come to me who are like, I must have been a terrible person because my life is so hard. You know, and the record keepers always, you know, kind of laugh and they just say, you know, this is what you want to learn about this time. We do everything. We are, you know, the light and the dark. There is no right. doubt, you know. So... Right. So who are the record keepers? When you asked, who are you? And they said, we're the record keepers. Like what, what realm of consciousness do they abide? Are they angelic? Uh, who are they? Well, the way they explained it to me is they say they are pure source energy. So they're not angelic. They've never been human. They've actually never been anything but source. So my record keepers tell me all these kind of funny, silly stories. And so they explain things in kind of weird little parables, you know, stories. And so they said, you know, imagine that um, 
that this huge high rise in, you know, Manhattan in New York is source energy, right? And so, so say there's a, a 25 souls who have just individuated from source and they get in an elevator and the elevator comes down, opens the door, so you're on street level. These 25 people are your soul family. So here you are, you weren't born in a basket, you were born in an elevator, right? So you step out and you see buses going by and ride cars and bicycles and people walking. And, and we all step out there, our little soul group, our little soul family, and we go, what should we do? You know, should we grab a cab or get on a bus? Or And so um, some souls... <laughs> and decide to go for a walk. And so here we are walking down the street in Manhattan and we see this big building, but it's not a high rise. It's a, a block square, but it's only about four stories high. So we're like, that's different than source that we just came from this huge hundred story high um, built skyscraper. And so we go in and it turns out it's New York City Library. And so here we are in this library, we've got four or five floors of books, and it's a block square, it's humongous. And we go, wow, well, let's study, let's learn something, let's, let's figure this out before we go anywhere. And so those souls who are just pure source energy moved into the records and they go, here, I'm studying. I can help. Maybe I can be a record keeper. Maybe I can be a librarian. Let me help some of these people who are coming in. And they literally go into service to humanity and to souls in general. And, um, you know, are, are here and they become our record keepers and they often stay our record keepers for a very long time and eventually individuate in some form. You know, we usually individuate as creator beings or sometimes the bigger angelics or other, you know, places, planes and dimensions until we eventually end up down here on earth. Beautiful. Have you ever experienced not being able to access somebody's Akashic records or being limited to what you can access when you've done readings with people? Mm. Um, I'm trying to think back. Um, I have occasionally felt a little limited, but the reason usually that the record keepers say it's limited is um, what they also have said is we meet you where you are. And so if your consciousness is, you know, kind of just newly awakening, maybe mm -hmm. your vibration isn't very high, maybe you actually um, have been drinking or doing drugs, right, which holds down your, your vibration, it just mm -hmm. keeps things more closed down. Right. So you get information, um, and you can do some healing. But what I've also noticed sometimes is that those people who I feel like, oh my gosh, I, you know, I mean, I could do a whole reading, but it's not crazy galactic stuff. But for them, it, it's, be, it's meeting them where they are. It's what they can understand, what they're ready for healing. It can be very profound just to know that you've lived more than one life and that you have some gifts and talents that your soul would like you to reclaim and access. So yeah. Yeah, absolutely. 
uh, what did I want to say about that? Um, you know, as I said to you before, we've been along the theme of galactic uh, connections over the last few weeks. And, you know, looking at you, Lisa, you look so galactic to me. I keep looking at you going, where is she from? And I see all yeah. these different places and especially, and I'm thinking the older you look, the more you're sort of donning your galactic uh, persona, I think. Anyway, that's a thought that came to mind. <laughs> so when you've looked into your own Akashic Records, where have you been playing in the cosmos? Um, you know, I've been out and about. <laughs> so probably the first kind of more galactic worlds that I started to really access and feel connected to was, was Sirius. So the dog star, of course, there's, you know, three different planets or worlds. I had a very profound kind of experience of having been a whale here on earth, you know, whatever millions of years ago and, um, creating really a vow and a contract with mother earth herself to, um, to support her and to protect her. And I did that as a whale from Sirius. And so, um, I sometimes have railed against coming back to earth again and again. And that was part of the Akashic records. Like, well, you know, you made this contract, whatever, millions of years ago. And so they're like, that's why you've come a thousand times. And I'm like, am I just really that slow that I would come back to earth a thousand times? They said, yeah, but not, you know, of course, time-space continuum is not what we think it is. And there's varieties of, of humans that we've been, right? So we've been through the last 12,000 years as one thing since the flood. But then there were, there were humans and we were here and we were here as whales and we were here as, you know, galactics. And so um, they say, you know, even though it sounds horrific to have come to Earth a thousand times, you've done it in different forms. So I'm like, okay, I guess that's okay then. But yeah, so that was one of the, the first real clear ones. And then um, I've also had quite a few lives in ancient Egypt. So I also get that the Syrians were the Egyptian gods who came to earth and eventually really individuated and became human over, over kind of, again, time and choice. But um, I've definitely had some priestess lives and some, you know, variety of different ancient Egyptian lives, which I think I've even got my, um, my flower of life earrings on I brought back from Egypt in September. So I was traveling to Egypt to be in the sacred sites and the pyramids back when most of the world was locked down. Oh, wow. So. Yeah, I saw that you went to the Bosnian Pyramid too, which is something that I wanted mm -hmm. to quiz you about. Uh, so, and another question I thought, because uh, Bonnie sent me a photograph of you and you're just so turquoise. And every time yeah. I've seen you, you've got your turquoise on. So what does the color turquoise mean to you? Is that your connection to your life, the Syrian life and the ocean or? Yeah, you know, a little bit of everything. I'm definitely just a water being I know I've had I've lived in water worlds I've been a mer person you know um 
uh, plus, you know, I was kind of born under the, the signs of cancer and Scorpio. I just have a, a real affinity, but I think so many worlds, so many lives. Um, I'm sure I was blue and uh, on Sirius at one point. Right. <laughs> just okay. And it's interesting too, because, you know, it is also part of our, our, um, our more energy field, right? And our energetic layers and, 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 and see, I even have blue nails. I know, it's like, the blue nails. I know. <laughs> I've got my blue shawl with me today. Yeah. <laughs> I'm wearing blue. You should see my house. It's like all turquoise, well, not all turquoise, because I just love color. It's a lot of color, yeah, but yeah, a lot yeah. of, tur- like I'm surrounded by turquoise at the moment. And I'm like, mm, she's a turquoise baby. I wonder what turquoise means to her, because I know a lot of my healer friends are really into the turquoise color. It's actually a very popular color in homewares at the moment, which I find interesting. Yeah, I find interesting because I think when colours become fashionable, it's sort of denoting some collective consciousness that people Mm. are tuning into. So what does turquoise mean to you apart from your connection to your Syrian lives and the ocean? And what do you, what, how do you? Well, you know, kind of for me, the interesting thing is, is when I meditate, that's the colour I see. Mm -hmm. I just have these big turquoise aqua kind of exploding bubbles is kind of when I'm kind of just really in that zone and that expansive state. And so, you know, I don't particularly think about it, although I have, you know, teal chairs and a, and a turquoise couch and, and, and my house is blue. So, I mean, it's just, it's like the most comfortable, happy, vibrant, I, you know, um, it just is, you know, it, to me, it's just kind of the vibration of, of life and love. So, yeah. you know, it just, yeah. To me, I feel like turquoise is the color of transformation. Mm. Yeah. yeah. So you said that you were given some galactic prayers for people to access. Is it to mm. access the Akashic records? Tell us about <laughs> yes. those. So back when the Akashic record keepers asked me to help them bring the information back to earth, because it had been pulled away for over a thousand years. I said, you know, like there's other schools. Why me? Why? Whatever. you know. And they said, because you're very galactic and we will give you galactic access prayers. So what I had noticed about the, um, the people that I knew who were using an access prayer to open the records, um, they were, the access prayer was Pleiadian which is lovely if you're Pleiadian, but if you're not like myself, who's way more Syrian or Lyran or Arcturian, didn't resonate that much. And so the record keeper said, we want to give you numerous different kind of um, galactic lineage access prayers so that many, many, many more people are called to do the work and will find easy access using these different access prayers. So um, the, the fir- my first book, The Infinite Wisdom of the Akashic Records, has three of the original access prayers. And then I teach three more in my second workshop when I teach online workshops. The first one is how to access the records. And then the second workshop is really going deep into all of these expansive realms. And so I teach um, three more 
uh, more galactic access prayers, although there's one that's very connected to the angelic soul family. Um, there's one connected to Orion. And um, I'm like, and there's another one, which I forget, you know, <laughs> I've got six of them. I'm like, let's see. Oh, there's the Pleiadian one. I do teach, I teach a galactic traveler, a Syrian and an Arcturian. So those are the six different access prayers. And you only need one to open your records, but that means that more people find it easy. So, so in my first workshop, I, I say, here's three prayers. We try each of them out and see which one really resonates with you. And people you know, 90% of the time, 95% of the time, find one that really resonates. Sometimes it's two that really resonate. And then sometimes they go on to course two and they've got another one or two. But um, my next step is to also download a Lyran access prayer and then Dramadan access prayers because those energies are finally becoming um, more accessible to us on earth, again, because of the galactic alignment, our new alignment to the, the galactic center, to the central sun. So um, yeah, so it makes it easier for more people to access their own Akashic records using a vibrational key or a sacred prayer. Oh, beautiful. What makes them different to another prayer? Are they light language or what makes them different? Why, why are they, do they hold codes? They must hold codes. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's kind of almost like reading a poem to me. They're, they're in regular English. They're not spoken in light language or anything, but they're imbued with the Akashic energy because I channeled them from the Akashic field. So it's almost like to me, um, a beautiful column of light is attached to each of these access prayers so that when you read it out loud, you say it, you repeat it a few times, right? You dive into the energy. It's like you get wrapped in this perfect column of light, which just, you know, connects you perfectly into your own Akashic field and to, to speak beautiful. with your record keepers, right? So yeah. that you can access your soul's library. Yeah, you know, you were talking before that you were, um, what is it? You were, um, you spent 10 years in the religious certificate practitioner offering healing prayer treatments to a congregation. I remember my ex-husband used to be a Hare Krishna and, and, and in the Hare Krishna tradition, they're told to repeat the mantras over and over and over and over again. And I was in the car one day with another healer friend of mine and my husband, we were talking about that and we we're saying like, why, why? And the information came through that it's better to recite the name of Krishna or, you know, how they go, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Rama, Hare Rama. And they're always, rather than the negative thoughts that are going on in your head, you know, it just cleans up your vibration. So thoughts are powerful and prayer is, a, is thought, right? And if you keep repeating, yeah, prayers that are high vibrational rather than the negative critical stuff, and the worry and the criticism and the judgment that most people have going on in their head. That's how you can raise your vibe. Yeah. Yeah, it really does. And, you know, because it's, it's, you know, built in the energy is built into these prayers, you know, you read them two or three times. It's not like you have to say it all day long, but 
once we've moved into that energy, we've really kind of connected into that vibration. And we can literally start to have a conversation with our record keepers and ask them the questions that are pressing to us, whatever it might be. It might be about a relationship or a, why did I choose this family who thinks I'm an alien or, or how did I get born into an alien family or, you know, <laughs> however it shows up for you. Yeah. But yeah, so um, all of our own personal and, and the reason to me also that learning to access your Akashic records um, is so helpful for people to have as a tool, as, as something that you can use whenever you want to, is really because of course, we learn and grow slowly, step by step by step by step, right? We can't clear all of our karma through all lifetimes in a moment. And of course, I have plenty of um, clients who come to me and they're like, can I, can we clear, can you clear all of my karma, <laughs> you know? And I say, you know, the thing is, if we could, and they wouldn't let us, but if they would, if they could really, and the record keepers are really more in charge of this aspect, they say you would be so um, kind of disconnected to your life. You would be so unanchored that you would likely cross over. You Not would have been given so, away all of your soul's plans and purposes and all of, you know, if you just said, let me just erase this soul plan, right? I, I don't want to do this. I don't want the soul contracts and the, and to heal the karma. I don't want to learn and grow. I don't want to support these people. Let me just clear all this garbage out. Well, uh, I'm having a chat to the reason for you to be oh your internet's just glitching your internet's glitching well uh oh mate it's my internet says my internet's glitching your internet connection um i i was just thinking that you can erase your karma if you do embody your divine identity by embodying your divine identity and living from a place of love which is which is in service to everyone and everything you can completely erase all your karma like that. But, and this is what I teach, people find it really difficult to embody their divine identity. They're just so um, attached to their beliefs of who they are in this world as the personality who gets angry, who gets pissed off, who's worried, who has, you know, has a fear of this and a compulsion of that. And, you know, we're just so attached to our, human identity rather than our divine identity but if you do like paul selick says if you live in the upper room there's no fear in the upper room like the upper room is that embodying your divine identity but you're right once you embody your divine identity you cease to be you cease to be any remnants of the personality that you thought you are and you become it's a bit like a walk-in like i was telling you about william linville you know this galactic soul walks into a body and he was not the same person and his family had no recognition of this man because he is embodying a higher identity, divine identity that is completely alien to the rest of the universe. Like he's quite alien. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you do, you, you become right. very dis unattached right. to the world, which could be. Well, and, and, 
And that's kind of that interesting walk-in kind of piece. But but what you're teaching is you're teaching people to work through that. And I completely agree that you, but you have to do it consciously. You can't just go, hey, magically disappear all of my karma. You have to do it. You have to let it go. You have to realize it. You have to move through the love and the compassion and the fear and the, and, and then we can shift, but it's a process, I think, for most of us. Although it's a you know, we know that there are souls who have woken up, you know, in an instant. Yeah. But but what you also usually see, and I think that Eckhart Tolle is a good example of it, is um he went from being a professor to sitting on a park bench for many years because <laughs> you're just unanchored. You have no personality. You have no drive. You have no reason to do anything. Right. So you might not die, but you might be like, well, just sit here because there's nothing to do. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't think that's really what my clients are looking for. <laughs> no place to be. Uh- yeah, like when you said most people spend six to eight hundred years and they could spend, you know, hundreds of years perfecting, just overcoming resentment. I'm thinking, no wonder my clients don't get that <laughs> instantly, you know, just to don your divine identity. It's like, nope. <laughs> They've spent hundreds of years trying to do that, thousands of years trying to do that. But anyway, this is a time where it is available. And I think we all have to embody that divine identity to move into the next step um, because it's not like you become God. You can still relate. It's, it's just, you become completely loving and in service. You know, you can still have a personality. <laughs> you yeah, can still laugh right. at things. You can still get angry. You can still have emotion, but you're a much more loving person that's in service to the rest of humanity. That would be it. Yeah. Beautifully said. And I, and I agree that that is what we're all striving for. And, you know, it might take us another 20 or 50 years, but we're on the path. <laughs> so let's go to the Bos- Bosnic pyramid, sure. the insight. What did you as an, you know, as a healer and an empath and a channel, what did you feel about the Bosnian pyramid? What was your downloads about what's going on there? Wow. Um, it's very powerful. Have you been? I have not, but I had a girlfriend who went on the show oh, a year or so ago uh, to talk about it. And I was thinking, oh, I'd love to go, but we've been in lockdown for like a year and a half. So I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> but right. uh, I think, yeah, I was there in Australia kind of just before lockdown. I think I was there, oh, well, October, November of uh, 2019 before we locked down in 2020. Oh, where were you in Australia? Um, I was uh, kind of all over. I went scuba diving on the Great Barrier Reef because right. I have to go, <laughs> had to go there and yeah. see my fish friends and, you know, yeah, yeah. just be in the vibe. Um, I was in Sydney. I did a mind, body, spirit um, uh, uh, expo uh, festival, I think they called them, in Melbourne. Okay. And so we were there. And, um, and you said yeah, Melbourne so, so well. <laughs> most Americans say Melbourne and I'm like I know I know said Melbourne oh my god <laughs> I <Yeah>. learn <laughs> yeah uh, so you did the mind body spirit in Melbourne yeah mm-hmm. what did yeah, you do when was- you're in Sydney um we just were sightseeing really we right. we landed we went sightseeing we went out to uh what's the famous bon- Bondi Beach bon- Bondi Beach so yeah, yeah. starts with a B um 
up the road from you know. me. I'm on a beach next door. Oh, it's just beautiful. Just very, very beautiful. And and then, like I said, we, we went up to the rainforest and scuba diving. And then we have beautiful. friends who live um, just south of Melbourne. And so it was fun. We were there and got to stay with them and do that beautiful um, Great Coast Road. And Oh, beautiful. The Great Southern Highway. Lovely. Did you go down to Tasmania? It's so pristine down there. It's no, so we did not. We were there about three weeks, but mm. um, we didn't quite have the time. We just, we'll be back. <laughs> did you go Did you go to the Red Centre? Did you go to Uluru? No, we just, yeah. you know, it was kind of like because we were, you know, between Sydney and, and the East Coast. And yeah. then um, I had my event and my husband actually had an event for three days with his friends who lived down um, in Point Lonsbury, I believe. Um, so it was just, you know, solid three weeks of, of fun. And so you know, we want to go back and spend some time and go to Uluru and go to Tasmania and really see. I mean, it's a huge country, just like the US, right? So it's massive. See. It's massive. And it's not as populated. Obviously, it's like only about 28 million people in this massive landmass. Wow. So everything's very spread out. So to get anywhere, you're traveling a long way. But when you were traveling through Egypt, um, so you were traveling during COVID. How was that? I mean, was Egypt obviously not locked down? I mean, how did you manage it? I haven't had any friends travel for the like last year and a half. You know, I have to say I traveled more during COVID wow. than I have in the last 10 years, right? So okay. usually we go on kind of a big trip every three years or so. And we had just been to Australia. But I had really been wanting to get back to ancient Egypt, yeah. back to Egypt from, mm-hmm. because of all those ancient lives. And I just felt that there was so much um, calling the energy of the Great Pyramids and, and all of these sacred sites that um, I had really kind of put that intention out into the universe. And I got an email from someone I had been interested in traveling with and they said, we're going, you know, Egypt is open. It opened September 1st and we're going. And so I just went, I'm in, you know, we can do it. And it was phenomenal because they were literally kind of opening hotels, just barely opening hotels for us. So it was quite empty. I would imagine Uh, empty of tourists. Totally. Yeah. Empty. We were one bus, there were 20 of us on this tour mm-hmm. and one bus at, at the sacred site. There was no, no one else. Was, we had wow. each site to ourselves for two or three hours. That would be longer. the best. I mean, because the thing about these tourist destinations is that you're, you're just, you know, you're thriving with tourists and you're sort of crowded. So right? oh, it would be so beautiful to be there during this time. It, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yep. It was amazing. And then I went to Chichen Itza, which is one of the great um, pyramids in uh, the Yucatan in Mexico in January. And um, so kind of moving pyramid codes around. Um, What I know is that the we're realigning the pyramids. And I, I believe that we're realigning really from ancient Egypt because it was not in the highest and best alignment. Um, and realigning um, to the Bosnian pyramid. So it'll be really interesting to see what happens over the next five years. So um, 
Chichen Itza was just kind of this interesting stop because I had died there whenever, hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And the last time I had been in Chichen Itza, I could not walk out to the cenote. My friends had all gone ahead and I would take a couple steps and then I would start to black out and wow. I'd sit down I put my head between my knees and then I'd be like, okay, I'm okay. And I get up and I'd start to walk a few steps. And again, like my eyes would close in, you black out, sit down. I did this three times until I finally was like, I'm apparently not supposed to go out there. I turned around. I walked back towards the main pyramid. No problem. No blacking out. No, nothing. Just I was not really allowed to go out. My soul was like, you died out there. That's not the place for you. <laughs> anyway, so it was so fun to go back. And it was fear that was out. stopping you, like fear from a past life. Yeah. So couldn't you overcome that fear and go out there anyway? Well, because it kept trying to make me black out, I, I would have, if I was scared, that would have been fine. But because I kept like almost passing out, I couldn't overcome that. I just, I tried three times. I get up, I'd be like, I'm okay, I'm going. And bang, I just start to pass out. And I didn't have anybody with me. If my friends were there, maybe they would have dragged me out. <laughs> I'm just thinking, wouldn't that be a perfect opportunity to sort of clear that karmic you know, that karmic well, energy. Yeah. Here's the, here's the thing. It was about 35 years ago oh. and I was, it was before it, I, I'm thinking that was last year, uh, 2019. No, 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 no. no last oh, year was so fun. Cause I could right. just go waltz out there. No, this is 35 years oh, ago. I see. I see. I see. Okay. I thought it was, yeah. so, yeah, no, so you no. did clear it and you waltzed out there and no blacking out. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Gotcha. Exactly. Right. So I was conscious of the fact that I, I knew I had died out there right. 35 years ago, but I didn't have the tools to heal it back yeah, then. Yeah, back then. Okay. Yeah. I got you. Right. Yeah. So all the, again, I, I was in Europe for three months and I would not go to England. This is again, you know, 40 years ago. I'm like, I can't go to England because I died there too many times because I didn't have the tools yet. And I think that's partly why it's so important to me to teach people the tools to write heal through the quantum field, through your Akashic records to clear this old trauma and emotional right. pain that keeps us locked down and stuck. Right. So, yeah, it's interesting. Don't avoid places you want to avoid, like go there because there's something there. You know, that happened to me in this lifetime. I live in a place called Coogee, which is just up the road from Bondi. And years ago, I, um, I moved in with a house with my ex-manager because I used to have a shop, used to sell homewares. And she had gone through a very traumatic thing. And then she tortured me and my young daughter and locked us out of the house and just put us through trauma because of her own trauma that she didn't deal with. She just tortured us. And it was a really horrible time. And we went to court because she, she took all my, threw all my furniture away and like just locked me out of the house. And she was very upset, poor dear. Anyway, and I moved away. And I remember every time I drove into this suburb, I used to get this horrible feeling because of what I went through. And I thought to myself, I need to make peace with Goodgy. It's not the area that tortured me. It was this woman. Like I need to make peace with, because the, the energy was 
for me, still in this area, because obviously for you, like when you go, if you've been killed in a place, and this would be anyone, you know, you feel that remembrance of that trauma. It's not the place itself. It's just that where the energy lives. And I did, and I made peace with Kuji, and I just started thinking what a beautiful place and a beautiful beach and started thinking of good times I had living here. And then life actually brought me back here and I ended up living here again. <laughs> I just thought, <laughs> isn't that crazy? I love it. But yeah, like, because uh, I, I think that, you know, a lot of our, um, well, not a lot, all of our, all of our, you know, like likes and dislikes and even our food and countries we like, and it all stems from past life stuff, wouldn't you say? Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, even though, like I could say I was born awake, I was awake, I was studying through high school. But then when I went to Europe, I fell in love with Italy because I had right. had a relatively recent past life there. Yeah. And so I stayed there for three weeks. I fell in love with France. I'd had a lot of fun lives there. But England, I was like, I can't go there because I've died there too many times right. and I don't have the tools yet, right? I don't know how to clear a past life, which most of us don't, right? So, so you know, that's why I say, I think it's so powerful to go back clear the emotional pain and trauma, because of course there's gifts there that you can reclaim, right? Mm -hmm. right? So, so why always um, the record keepers talk about it as really a um, way to retrieve soul aspects that have splintered off. So it's mm -hmm. a kind of really a version of soul retrieval to be able to go outside of time and space in the quantum field to clear the emotional pain and reclaim those aspects, those pieces, and to really bring that back into this whole um, bigger aspect of the soul. So yeah. yeah, it's, it's great to do. It's profound to do, of course, because we get gifts and talents back which is fun <laughs> you, yeah. know? <laughs> you know I was saying to you before I turned the camera on that I used to teach people how to access the Akashic records when I was teaching all manner of healing stuff years ago and the best reading I think I've ever had was by one of my students and she said to me uh oh you've spent many lives as a child in China and I thought to myself China really because what really shocked me about that was I was adverse not to the food but to anything sort of Chinese like my girlfriend's mother used to have all this Chinese furniture and I used to think how ugly it was and I <laughs> just didn't like it I just didn't like and I thought huh something happened to me in China that makes me I didn't hide hate Chinese people just the furniture but the look of the, the whole Chinese look of things you know like the red and the gold and the sort of and I was really adverse to it it made me see oh so that's where it comes from something's gone on and you know something happened she, she said to me oh you've spent many lives in China which just kind of shocked me yeah so it's interesting how our tastes sort of line up with these past lives isn't it right right because you know they're not all good lives that's for sure so <laughs> right so you teach people how to access their own past lives for people uh do you want to give us a clue about how we do that and I says I used to do it too right <laughs> right um, so when the Akashic record keepers asked me to, um, help them bring the Akashic information back to humanity, because of course they were like, it was pulled away. Now we have to get it back. And I, you know, I said, how, 
you know, what do you want me to do? And they were like, well, I'll give you sacred prayers. I'll give you vibrational keys and we'll give you a five-step wisdom prayer system, which is simple to follow and very, very um, profound to just really shift us very easily without having to meditate for 25 years or even an hour and hope, you know, it shifts you into the Akashic field and really connects us with these beautiful beings of light. They're pure source energy, Akashic record keepers, and they're there, you know, waiting to help us. And so um, it's a pretty simple tool, like I say, five-step wisdom prayer system. And um and so that's what I've been teaching over many, many years. And I do online workshops usually three times a year now. So I teach in like September and February and June, you know, try and kind of space it out and different times because I have many, many um, students in Australia and, you know, different ones at a very different time zone than, than Europe, especially, you know, because I'm in California. So um but it's lovely because I get to meet and, you know, work with people all over the world. It's so fun now that we have these kind of easy access to things like Zoom and can really connect this way. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I also saw you talking about releasing people from sacred contracts, which is something I used to do endlessly when I was teaching this stuff, yeah, <laughs> like so vows, of, <laughs> vows of poverty. But here's the thing, I stopped doing it and I'll tell you why. But I, I remember I had this meditation teacher at the time it's like over 20 years ago and he was a gay man and Sydney's a very um there's a lot of gay populations like San Francisco uh in Sydney it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful culture and anyway they have a lovely time and he was really struggling because he'd had many lives as a as a as a monk and um his power his vows of chastity and poverty were really so I, he came to me and I released those from him and then he ended up going back he ended up going back to being a monk. <laughs> like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> or maybe it worked perfectly. Right? Or maybe it worked perfectly. Yeah. But it was really interesting how people were uh, vows of chastity, vows of poverty. What's your experience of it? Well, you know, definitely I have tons of, of clients come to me. I think one today who, who said, you know, oh, I, I have those money things. I just can't ever make enough money or every time I make money, it just, you know, goes right out the window. And, um, you know, I would say that most people who have come as light workers really in the last well, I think the first light workers started coming around 1944. So, you know, this has been a good 60 years, you know, plus 70 years. I, my math, not so good. Um, that we have been, you know, we came as light workers as soon as we could get back in. And we have been nuns and priests and monks and you know some sort of vow through all of these different lives especially right through the dark ages and the middle ages so so i would say that so many of the light workers i've seen have you know at least a half a dozen or a dozen spiritual kind of lives where they've taken these vows of poverty and chastity and obedience i really like to get rid of the obedience one so you know <laughs> So um, I find it's, it's kind of phenomenal how much it can help people. 
But the thing that I was reminded today working with my client was that we, we don't always take vows of poverty. We often take vows never to be rich again because we get killed, we get, you know, murdered when someone's robbing us or something like that, or we're, you know, murdered and somebody takes over our lands and our house. And, and, and as we're, you know, slowly bleeding to death, we make a vow of, of uh, never to be rich again, because we just say, I never want to be rich again, because that got me killed. Or that was a miserable life because sometimes when we're really wealthy, we're not very nice. We're like, you know, we don't trust anyone. And so we have these other kind of things going on. So, you know, I think there's a lot of vows that do affect our lives in that sort of way, whether it's around money or they're um, more like a soul contract about, you know, your relationship and learning from or with someone. So, you know, we write, you know, we, again, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of lives, the record keepers say that most of us have had. <laughs> so. Yeah, I heard you say that we have between 600 to 800 lives. And you said that your record keeper said that you've had thousands of lives on earth, not always as human, sometimes as whales, <laughs> maybe you were a mountain or a crystal or a flower. <laughs> uh, but that, right. that that's a lot, because a lot of people say, how many past lives have I had? But I think you know, with the many of the star seeds that are here, that's changing because there's so yeah. many people that I speak to that goes, I'm a first earther. <laughs> yes, yes. I think it's so exciting because I just had a grandchild and I'm like, I'm sure that she's a <laughs> first, earther? You know, first earther or, you know, sometimes I'll see them a few times, you know, working it out kind of thing, working the body thing out. But Right. They're not coming with karma. I mean, that's absolutely right. for sure. Yeah. So they don't well, have those long patterns and big, you know, traumas and things to work through. Well, I've heard some people say that since the last 10 years, has it been? I can't remember what the time is, but all the kids that are reincarnating now, I think it was since 2010. That's what I heard, uh, are coming without that karma. So you can't basically incarnate back on planet earth with your karma, you've got to go elsewhere because we're shifting. And this is, you know, working out karma is not what we're shifting into. It's it's moving forward in our evolutionary process. Is that something that you've heard as well? Yeah. So basically the way I've been um been getting it is well, and this was kind of shocking because I just got this, I don't know, whatever, recently. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I know in the last time. Months or two months yeah, or something yeah, recent. Yeah. Um, but that um, that we're really going to complete this whole story, this mm -hmm. whole trauma and drama, mm -hmm. and that we are going to make it. We're going to all awaken. And those who aren't up for the awakening over the next however many years it's going to be, because I think it's going to take us a while. I think it's going to take us 10, 20, whatever plus years. Um, I, I also believe a lot of people will leave the earth. You know, mm -hmm, I think mm -hmm. a lot of people will cross over. 
Mm-hmm. They'll be like, I'm not up because it's not easy, right? It's exhausting, mm-hmm. honestly, right? We were just talking about being kind of exhausted. It's like, <laughs> there's much to do and a lot, you know, and whew, it's can, you know, when you're sensitive to all these energies, it's exhausting. So yeah, um, I believe, I, you know, and um, the puppet Kermit the frog used to say, it's not easy being green. I always say that it's not easy being human. It's like not easy right. being green. <laughs> That's right. It is an easy thing. Oh my gosh. So yeah, I, I believe that we're um, stopping this pattern. We are, you know, whatever, who's all here basically have really come to complete all these old patterns, to complete them, to unwrite them, to work through them, to really, um, I believe that all these light workers are here to, um, unweave what we wove you know millions of years ago of to decreate this matrix to to release us from this kind of crazy world prison that we've created yeah and so it's exciting (laughs) and a lot of work exciting and then (laughs) and many of the star seeds have come in to families to work on the you know the karmic line through the family and it's not even been their own karmic line like they've taken on that karma sort of clean it up don't you think I see that a lot with clients mm-hmm. uh, you know I was um I was chatting to my guides this morning uh, about about contracts and you and and right. um and how I don't do the sort of you know release people from contracts anymore and I said why don't I do that and they said because I attract a certain you know, quality of person that that comes to me as a client and also what's watches the shows. And um, they, it was really interesting what they said. Um, they said, if you're really waking up and you need some help, then you can do all that release of contracts and stuff like that. But they said the goal in any lifetime is to remember your divine, your divinity. And we don't, and we create karma. But in this lifetime, as we don our divine perspective and don that frequency, all that karma and all that stuff that we're doing bit by bit by bit just dissolves as you take on the frequency of your divine identity. And so, but they said that for most people, just even hoping to get there, they need to clear out a bit of debris before they can access that, that quality, that that vibration and I said aha okay that makes a lot of sense (laughs) that makes a lot of sense oh it absolutely does and you know I've been very blessed over the years to really be able to work with a lot of beautiful you know high vibrational people who also have had a lot of trauma in their lives so it's pretty easy to be able to say well, you wanted to, you know, clear that pattern and you wanted to, you know, learn this and you were here to help to support all those people so that, you know, you could bring them along as that big ancient soul. And so, you know, we can pretty quickly clear, release, delete a lot of this stuff. And then we can, you know, really bring in these higher um, vibrations that you're, you know, are really in your field already. Let's just, you know, ground them down into the body, into the right. Um, on a cellular level and, and just own it. So, so I find that a lot of people really just need that validation. They are like, they're trying to do it, but they're like, am I crazy? Am I really a healer? 
do I really have these gifts? You know, it's like, yeah. yes, absolutely. They're just yeah. they're looking really for, you know, a little bit of unraveling of some of these old karmic patterns, a little clearing of some of that emotional pain and trauma that may have them like, I'm still afraid to be seen. What's that about? I'm like, ah, we can clear that out, you know? And so, um, so really that, that feels like one of my, um, uh, you know, great purposes is to, you know, help, um, awaken and support and um, activate the light workers who are really here to help us really transform this world. Mm. And then it'll, you know, so it'll be easy. It'll be interesting to see because of course this last book, the record keepers were like, we want you to hit a broader um, group. We want you to make this make sense to the people who are just waking up, mm. not who are, you know, already awake. And, um, and hence the kind of concept is that, you know, life is not an accident. This is, you know, this is not a punishment. Your soul made this plan. You came and you wanted to do this, right? So you can own it and let it go, right? You can bypass a lot of the old karmic drama, but um, so, you know, hopefully that will be what, what people will start to take away and understand and remember, right? The higher the energy gets, the easier it is to just remember. Mm -hmm. And, and then one of the lovely things is with having the school and having, you know, trained um, dozens and dozens of people, of people over the years is that, um, you know, my desire is to let me just speak about it. And then you can go, go take a class from one of my teachers, right? And yeah, so, so people around the world teaching. You're training people to do the work that you're doing. That's that's a part of the school, the Akashic. Yeah. Uh, what do you call it? The Akashic, Akashic Knowing School of Wisdom. Akashic Knowing School of Wisdom. Great name. Did they give you that name? The guides. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think we ever finished. I asked you what you thought about what you felt in the Bosnian pyramid. We yeah. kind of got lost in another. Right. What did you experience there? So I experienced, um, and we, I went as deep. It will so <laughs> I'll tell you the whole story. Okay. Um, we, um, got to, got to the pyramids again, this was just in May. And so things were kind of barely opening up. Um, we had to have a COVID test, a negative COVID test within 48 hours of arriving and which was not all that easy to do, but doable. And so, um, we get to the to the um, tunnels and you know because there's a tunnel and we were there was big empty parking lots again we're like well it doesn't seem like we need to park in this parking lot because there's probably something closer if this is empty you know so we were driving around kind of and um we settle in we find a place we go up the stairs up to where the you can at, um, go into the tunnels. And as I climbed to the top of this kind of rickety staircase, this gentleman stops and looks at me. And I said, oh my gosh, Dr. Samir. And it was the man who discovered the Bosnian pyramids, who has been creating these tunnels and, and doing this work for the last, uh, however many years it is now, I think it was 2011, I believe, if I'm correct. Anyway, he stuck out his hand and said, hello, and where are you from? And I said, I'm from California. And my friends that were with us were from Sedona. And 
He said, oh my, you've come a long way. Let me show you around. So that was very fun. And, you know, always so lovely when you kind of hit that beautiful, you know, energetic alignment that, you know, you get shown around the site by, you know, the founder. And so um, then we went into the uh, tunnels and you also have to have a guide to, cause there's a lot of tunnels and they go pretty far back in. And, um, she showed us around and they're these amazing, they look like huge rocks that are, um, I couldn't even wrap my arms around. To me, it would be about four feet by maybe two feet across. And she said, you know, this is not a rock. This is clay. This is made out of a ceramic, but it's made out of a ceramic that we can't make. We don't make here. And you could literally see a seam around it. And they said, we've x-rayed them or done ultrasound on them. And it's two pieces and inside are crystals. And so it's got a top and it's sealed and you can feel just, you don't even have to get very close, you, a foot away or something like that. You can feel the energy coming off these, these ceramic um rock looking things and and there's i don't know how many there must have been at least a half a dozen of them that i saw and there were different tunnels and there were meditation little um cubbies and different things and so we went in really far and spent a little time meditating and what um the two beings that came to me one was um felt more like from um, like inner earth, right? So uh, I'm here in California. I'm not that far from Mount Shasta. So we have the Telosians here, right? The beings from Talos. I don't know where they're from there, but they were these beings, but they were kind of um, much smaller because the Telosians look, you know, also very um, tall, thin kind of blondes. These beings were, were kind of interesting because they were small and white. They were like, they really lived underground. So they showed up and that was kind of very cool. And just energetically, it felt like they wanted to kind of commune and share some energy gifts. And, um, and we're so happy we were there. They were really, that was kind of the overriding. We're so happy you're coming. We're so happy this is being discovered, you know, and they'll take this energy back and share this energy and this information. Um, and then the other being, so they felt like maybe they actually gave the original wisdom to the more the galactics that had come. And so um, I felt like there was some, again, taller um, kind of uh, galactic <gasps> beings, but I don't know where they were from. It wasn't any place I was familiar with. So I couldn't name it like it wasn't Sirius or the Pleiades or Arcturus or any, anything like that. So, um, so that was pretty fascinating. And they too were very excited that we're rediscovering the Bosnian pyramids. This was, you know, it, underneath the pyramid of the sun. And then um, we actually hiked up to the top. You can get about halfway up on a road. And then we hiked up to the top because there's a huge um, energetic stream of um, energy light, you know, coming out of the top, leaving the pyramid. So we went wow. twice, we went back twice and um, it was just very powerful, very. Wow. Powerful. 
Uh, yeah, I was going to say, what did you feel? Because uh, apparently the resonance, the, the, the energy, the resonance, what's the, what, what's the thing that measures energy? What do you call it when you look on? Um, anyway, it's, it's super high inside the pyramid. Oh, like, yes. What do you call yeah. it? The resonance, the energy resonance. Yeah. Yeah. I have some photos. I took some photos of, you know, where it would say like, um, they, they use kind of letters or different, different things. Um, the where Schumann it would say, resonance, that's what they call it. it the Schumann, the resonance. Schumann resonance. And right. they also use some different words. So I'm, I'm not a hundred percent sure, um, what the technical names were, yeah. but, um, they, they, it, one sign said, um, the, uh, like a monastery, a Tibetan monastery would be rated at say 14,000. Mm-hmm. And this spot was rated at 40, 40,000, 40,000 yeah. resonance or energy vibration, whatever that was. And I was like, wow, wow. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. It's supposed to be amazing. So did they give you the beings that came and said, g'day, hello? <laughs> did they give you any information about what the purpose of that particular pyramid was all about? Like why it was there, why it was built, who built it? Anything? Um yeah, no. you know, honestly, it's all I always kind of laugh because I say, you know, I go to all these places, I listen to the guidance, I do what they tell me to do. And then often there's not a really big um story that goes with it, which always is a little kind of bit of a bummer to me because I'm like really you know it's like we're just we're realigning you're moving some code so I didn't get a big history about it honestly so um we were there we had about uh two half days there you know through there um and it was the end of a three-week trip that we had done around Bosnia and Croatia and um but what I feel is, you know, it's less the kind of the mental story, it, but I feel the energy codes kind of show up and I can kind of sometimes feel them as they um, embody more fully. Mm-hmm. And what I noticed from Egypt, it was almost like I had this huge um, knapsack or, or bag of, of energy and information that is still downloading. It's still just kind of slowly coming in because it, it's just too much to kind of, I mean, talk about exhausting to, to just download all at one time, right? You're like, uh. so yes. pretty fascinating. So I know more information comes in kind of as it just slowly downloads. And so I wouldn't be surprised if I actually got more insights and more information about it, you know, kind of over over time over a period of time we're in extraordinary times and before we go it's been such a delight to talk with you I'd love to get your perspective or your guide's perspective on what we're currently going through I think I shared with you before we turned on the camera that Australia is gearing up for some big resistance by the mainstream population that are not happy with um what they're being asked or forced to do and there's uh, big resistance brewing and uh, what's your, what are the guides take on what we're going through globally? I'm so amazed that you traveled through all this time, <laughs> but anyway. 
no, it's just kind of wild. I just got a, got the go and I went, I just was like, okay. And it was, it was beautiful. It was, I was in Dubrovnik, just kind of an aside, and then I'll answer it. I was in Dubrovnik, which usually has about 8,000 tourists per day in this right. tiny little walled city. Yeah. And there was no one there. Right. I just said, and, and it breaks your heart. You know, well, I know it does break your heart. I mean, yeah. the, the streets of Sydney are pretty empty too, but um, I was thinking I'd love to go to Bali because Bali is just a place that is just such a tourist destination. It's very close to Sydney. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's when I was there a few years ago, my prayer was I wish there wasn't so much, you know, so, some interference by all the tourists and because it's gone crazy, pollution and everything. And during the shutdowns, it's been all cleaned up. Mm. And, and a lot of the Balinese that have been in the tourist industry have gone back to working the land and growing vegetables. And it's completely transformed. And I often think I'd so love to be there, you know, mm. while there wasn't all the millions of tourists, you know, on their motorbikes and chaos and because it is a very chaotic place. Yeah, the world yeah, is. Yeah. Um, it has been beautiful. I mean, really, to be able to to I walk the wall around Dubrovnik, and I have photo after photo with nobody else in it. Right. I have a photo at night of um, the the lights shining, reflecting off of these gorgeous, you know, cobblestone streets. The whole huge main street. I think I have one person down towards the end of the the street. It was, I mean gorgeous it was spectacular it was you know so expansive to be able to be in some of these ancient sites without a lot of tourists and yet of course you feel so for the people who are living there and who are barely getting by with their you know a quarter of the the restaurants are open and most of the shops are closed and um, so it's it's such a challenging time but you know the record keepers just keep saying that there is so well Basically, you know, forever ago, if you go back that we are ancient, ancient, huge souls that we said, you know, we can roll around the heavens all day and just be in light and joy. Let's do something different. Let's create a different type of world. And we created um, a lower vibrational planet. So if you think you went from a higher vibrational um, Terra to, to, um, Gaia to Terra to Earth, right? So we've dropped it vibrationally at least three or four times on this planet to have the experiences that we're having. And it was really all about that growth and the wisdom. And because it, it was the bringing in all of the dark energy to create this experience, um, you know, that's what we've experienced for, again, thousands and thousands and thousands of of um, years and probably many batches of time with different kinds of humans. And, and, and I believe we've had just, you know, a lot of even physical interference and, you know, re um, recreating um, bodies, beings, you know, all of the above. And so um, there's a lot of pain and drama and trauma and, you know, kind of darkness to be brought to the surface, to be seen, to be healed, to be released, to be unwoven. So on top of it, we're trying to unweave those patterns that are holding um, earth down in this vibration. And that's what she, earth herself, right? The, 
the beautiful being that is a sentient being mm -hmm. is trying to, again, detangle herself to awaken. And when she can awaken, if we could, it's, it's almost like the image I get is um, if, if <laughs> kind of a funny thought, I just saw Gulliver, you remember Gulliver's travel, you know, the, mm -hmm. right. So they showed me earth kind of almost like if you were, if she were like a Gulliver, right? This big being who was tied down and all the little beings are keeping her tied down mm. with our stories and our plans and our darkness and all of our, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, low energies. And so we all have to work at, at, at clearing those patterns, at, at moving um, out of fear into right compassion and forgiveness and awakening mm -hmm. and you can't ever undo war with war right we right. can never awaken by yeah someone. the same energy which is which is what's happening uh which and i have to say i honor it and bless them like you know there is a essential service group of people that are trying to fight the government because the government is sort of locking us in and locking us down and they're trying to fight the government with the same blackmail like it's it is they're at war yeah. right um i have to say i honor them because at least they feel like they're doing something it's the first step of the creative process it's that asking you know i think that planet earth is in a big first step you know collectively we're asking for we're asking we don't i don't know if we know if we know what we're asking for a new way something not the awakened ones but the ones that are not awakened there's a lot of asking so as i see businesses failing like restaurants and shops and closing 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 everyone's crying over people losing their livelihood but at the same time it's all a bit too much isn't it do we need another restaurant maybe we need to become more responsible you know the, the food industry is such a corrupt industry maybe we need to look at the food industry stop going for takeaway and restaurants and look at how we produce our own food start producing our own food growing it on our balconies or in our gardens. I don't know. It's, it's really asking us to look at the society that, that we've had. It's, it just couldn't keep going. Commerce, more shops, more shops, more, you know, yeah, more restaurants, more shops, more, yeah. Well, and the record keeper said to me about five years ago, um, I thought we'd actually kind of start to move into the energy back then, but they said, you know, until we can, um, kind of come back home, back into our smaller communities, live really, you know, um, community family. gardens mm -hmm. and what, you know, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then, um, yeah, it, it, there is a lot of the corruptness. There is a lot of this energy that's been in the planet for so long. And so when um, COVID started, when, you know, back in March, when everything all of a sudden shut down and there was no one on the freeway and no one was commuting, commuting into the city anymore. And, and San Francisco started to empty out. Everybody's moving out into the country and, wow. and giving up their, their, um, their leases, Businesses, their office yeah. buildings and mm -hmm. all of that. And, and I, you know, I was kind of shocked back in March of last year of 2020. And I, I was like, what's going on? And they said, well, remember when I said that it's time for people, you know, for people to return to their, to their communities, to create a community. Right. I said, this is how 
this, this is, is how the, it's going to happen. How we're starting to to create right. this. It's and almost again, it won't be a month. It won't be you know. Obviously, it's not even you know. It's more than a year now. And right. um, yeah. yeah, it can't just be a good idea. We have to be forced into it. It's yeah. you know, like there's a community garden down the road, veggie gardens, and uh, I was so excited when it started. And I've watched the evolution of it. And all these people put all their veggies in and then completely ignored it. And it's just a whole bunch of weeds. <laughs> oh. like tending to it. No one's tending to it. Because it's like, oh. why bother? You got the supermarket. But I guess that when you're forced, like if, if what happens, it's if, if, if what they say is going to happen, um, happens, then we're going to be forced to grow our food because if the essential service actually stops working, then all the supermarkets are going to empty out and there ain't going to be food in the supermarkets. So that veggie garden will have to be reinvigorated. It can't be just a good idea anymore. It needs to, you know, we need to be forced into this stuff to look at how, yeah, it's it's fascinating times we're in, isn't it? Somebody said to me online yesterday, did you get enough food? Because I did stock up and I said, probably not enough. And I said, if I lose a few hundred pounds because I've run out of food, that'll be good too. <laughs> <laughs> right? Right here was always the toilet paper. It's that like, what? I don't I know. I got a lot of toilet paper. <laughs> seriously anyway but no it's true and and that's why i think that they're saying that a lot of people will leave you know a lot of the cities yeah yeah well you leave the planet leave the planet planet, yeah yeah yeah. you know it's it it may be too hard and and do you think too hard for what too hard to meet contrast with love and overcome your karma because i think that as we bump up against contrast or drama in our lives or difficulties, right. you know, it brings up all those subconscious, you know, abandonment issues and poverty. Like it brings up all the subconscious stuff that we're here to work on. And you're saying for some, it's just going to be too hard, just easier to die, <laughs> Get, like exit the matrix. But uh, but I suspect that what I heard you say, I might be wrong, is that the, a lot of the people that are going to leave are those that can't work on their karma and so they'll leave the planet to go and work on it in another place as we evolve out of our karma. And the ones that will stay will be the ones that are willing to evolve out of the karma and return to love, return yeah, to their divine absolutely. identity. You right. know, if you're going to live right. in hatred and anger, then I believe Isn't that, it? you know, that the soul will be, you know, we can't do that. So off we go, right? right. And every age, you know, I, I really believe that that's kind of where we are is, is, you know, if we don't wake up and kind of get on the road and start to be that love and compassion and helping and, you know, doing the higher work that we've come to do at this time, then um, you, it'll be too traumatic. It'll be too painful. It'll be too yeah. hard, you know? Right. So it is hard living in. What did he say? Um, I've decided to give up. Hate it's too big a burden to bear. Who said that? The um, the guy um, in the black guy that was killed. The um, oh, Martin Luther King is that him? I think he said that. I've decided to give up. Hate it's too big a burden to bear. Yeah, it is. 
hanging on to resentment and and stuff it's too big a burden to bear yeah right. you gotta and until people start to kind of wake up to that you know right. is that that hatred is right poisoning you it's so. poisoning you yeah exactly yeah. exactly oh darling one it's been so beautiful to talk with you today mm. you're doing wonderful work thank you so much for chatting with me on the show and people can find oh. you at the at akashicknowing.com i'll have it under the youtube there and um yeah beautiful lovely conversation thank you thank you i appreciate you and hope to maybe get to see you in person um yeah (laughs) come back to australia (laughs) come back on down you won't be here for the next couple of years (laughs) no one's going i've got a girlfriend who works in the states and she was complaining on instagram the other day that she can't get back there she's got jobs working they're not letting anyone in and they're not letting anyone out and I, so I sent her a message and I said, well, maybe Source wants you here. Maybe this is, you know, maybe you're here for a reason. Yeah. yeah. But um, when, yeah, hopefully in another, in one another day. time. <laughs> one day. <laughs> one day. All right. Thanks My again. Dear. It's been a pleasure. <laughs> Goodbye. So lovely to meet Lisa. She's gorgeous, isn't she? The Akashic Records, we were just chatting. She said that she's... Um, been busy working on a TED talk she's been asked to do a TED talk I said to her what are you going to talk about (laughs) because you know talking about oh excuse me talking about past lives and the Akashic records is not really TED speed you know who I'm talking TED ideas worth spreading in fact many people who who get to into the consciousness stuff have been taken down there's many people that have been taken down from ted because it's a bit too woo woo or out there or too advanced for ted but uh, she said oh i'm going to talk about trauma and how to overcome trauma and then she said but i'm going to talk about the akashic the akashic records and and past lives and i said you go girl (laughs) get that message out there to the ted audience because the ted audience is a rather large audience it's a more mainstream audience But yeah, I just had a fascinating conversation with Lisa after we turned off the recording uh, about all things consciousness and, and uh, yeah, schools, you know, she was working through the shift network and different big schools that promote healers and stuff like that was really interesting. She's a wealth of information and um, I'm sure she'll come back down under one day and I'll get to meet her in person, (laughs) but it was an amazing conversation. All right, I'm, uh, I'm going to go have some breakfast, have a cup of tea. It's been beautiful to be with you all again. And let me know what you think about Lisa. Send me a message or an email. And as I said, join our uh, awakenment, Awakening Empowerment Network on Facebook and, and uh, chat to me there. You can chat to me there. I post the shows there. And, and I get other people. Other people post their shows as well. I'm, I'm not all about me. I'm all about everyone. We're in this together. And whoever is putting on a podcast show, I'm happy to promote your stuff. I was just telling Lisa that I'm often giving my guests names to other shows that they can go on if they want to get their work out there. But she's got an agent who's doing that for her, which is who reached out to me to put Lisa on. So I hadn't met Lisa beforehand and I hadn't didn't know much about her until I the night before I did the interview or the conversation. I sort of researched the people and listened to a couple of their interviews, like, who are they? What are they talking about? Uh, but it was lovely to meet Lisa. Lovely, beautiful. So thank you to the agent who reached out to me to put her on the show.
And I hope you enjoy that. Let me know if you what influences you, what you're adverse to or like, and how you think that that dovetails with your past life. All our all our little influences, I think, come from our past lives. You know, maybe you love Italian food, or you love Italy, or you hate this country, or you hate that food. It's all there's all an influence there. I think, um, unless you're a first earther, but then you can have imprinted influences. You can have past lives imprinted on your uh, in your consciousness to give you <clears throat> like you've had past lives, which some people, when they go into regression, they see these imprinted lives and don't realize that they're actually, they didn't actually live them. They're just like given this memory until you're asked the question, did you live this life or is it a memory that you've been given? And when you ask the question, your soul will go memory or lived it. So it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, it's interesting. We're in amazing times. And uh, coming up in the inner sanctum, uh, actually, I don't know who's coming up this month because someone that was going to, she might change her mind, but she's um, something's happened and she can't do it. So I might need to ask somebody else. But um, yeah, anyway, lots of people to talk to and I'm online every week teaching deliberate creation and how to access your divine identity and be more of that influence in your life rather than your personality that is connected to the subconscious belief systems uh, that is rooted in karma and past lives you can dissolve all of it when you don that divine identity of love and light and being in service you can dissolve it all and feel like it is true what lisa says you 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 let go of desire all those desires that you have to you know for me i really wanted to build and design my own house and then I found out that I used to do that in a past life. I used to build temples or churches. And um, once I found that out and sort of donned more of my divine perspective, the desire left me to do that. It's like, it's not important to do that in this life. It's really not. It's really not. It used to be a burning desire in me to do it. Now it doesn't. So your desires do melt away. I don't know if you want to hang on to your desires. The desire for me now is just to get this message out there as much as I can and um, in any way it doesn't have to come from me I think to myself I should do more teaching online and do more of my own teaching but if I'm teaching through others we're all one it's coming out my mouth or coming out of their mouth it doesn't matter we're all one as long as the message gets out there and people in a way that people can digest the message and actually take it on and live it that's what is my burning desire more than anything is the shift in our world so I hope you enjoy the messages that I bring through the shows and uh, remember to check out the book Awakened by Death if you haven't already. And I'll see you next time. Bye for now. <laughs>